grateful to be in your presence, Father God. We welcome you and ask you to speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, good morning. I know I'm not Amy, but that's okay. For those of you who care, she's not here. So, hey, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If I haven't met you, um, my name is Jesse. And so if you are new, I want to encourage you, make sure... Uh, if you haven't done so, uh, download our app. Everything's on the app, SBC Truckee, uh, Sierra Bible Church Truckee, <clears throat> webpage, all of that. Um, place to sign up for the newsletter. All those things are there. There are a lot of Bible studies up and coming. There are some men's stuff that's up and coming. So uh, if you want to find out what's happening, download the app. If you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Uh, one of the ushers will <clears throat> make sure you get ones. Just keep your hand up. Turn to Matthew chapter uh, 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're in a series right now. Well, we're just kind of um, uh, just taking some time to <clears throat> um, discuss discipleship and what discipleship means, since you do see it on our um, screens and you see it on our bulletins. And so we wanted to uh, just take some time in the beginning of the year to just kind of uh, reestablish and re-communicate uh, what we're all about. So we do want to make disciples. And so uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, we defined discipleship and what it is. And what it isn't, and so if uh, you want uh, that information, that is online. I think it's mislabeled, unfortunately. It says uh, leaving a legacy, but the date is correct. So uh, sometimes the, the, the title doesn't get put in there correctly. I don't know what happened. It wasn't my fault. Um. <laughs> Gosh, you guys are so sensitive. Um. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, and um, we'll start with verse 16. And uh, <clears throat> remember last week we said discipleship, even though it's this weird kind of big Christian word that we don't usually use, discipleship is, the, is just a fancy way to say we learn and we follow after Jesus. Uh, and we said last week, like worship, that there's no such thing as worship neutral, that you're bent towards worshiping, you're bent towards discipleship. You, you will be taught by something and you will embrace ideologies. Whether you uh, want to or not, it's just a byproduct of what happens. It's how we're made. It's the reason why celebrity culture exists, right? I mean, if you think of celebrity culture, we love to set people up on pedestals and follow them and emulate them. You know what we like to do even more than that? We like to see them fall and call for their crucifixion uh, and, and to see them buried. And so we, we thrive on, let me give you a perfect example, okay? Uh, how many of you remember Michael Jackson? Right, one moment, yeah, dude, everyone's doing it, everyone's doing it, woo, hee, woo, ha. right? <laughs> the next, the next, everyone's like, he's a pedophile, kill him, ruin him, throw him away, get rid of him, cancel him, right? That's, that's what we do, and it's because we, we long to be like something else, and ultimately, if we don't get that from Christ, we're going to get it from something else in culture, and so discipleship is not a neutral thing. You're going to do it, and so what we've been trying to encourage is a, a greater, uh, well, a greater understanding of discipleship, but a greater desire to be a disciple, uh, that, you, that you really would be like really dedicated and kind of radical about your faith to follow Jesus. And so um, we're going to talk about that. So let me read the uh, text this morning. I'm out of breath. Man, I need to exercise more. Those stairs are so, whew. 
Um, stand with me, please, if you can, if you have the ability to, and if you have the with all, as we honor God's word and read it. Now, <clears throat> the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain into which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 is very important. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Lord, we do rest in that promise that you're with us right now, and you'll be with us forevermore. We pray your presence would be palatable to us this morning, that we would learn from you, that you would encourage us. Help us to draw near to you this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Okay. Um, last week, I started out and I said, hey, let me share with you uh, a little bit of my own personal preference and try to, and, and I encouraged you as a listener to try to um, <clears throat> uh, kind of differentiate a little bit in your own heart with discernment between my own personal preference and, and, uh, and, and what may or may not be true biblically. And so I mentioned in part, in the position that I'm in as, as a pastor and as a pastor that, that God has seen fit to, uh, you know, to oversee this congregation, this group of people, this family, uh, I'm always thinking about different church things and, and what, what, what's healthy and what's right what should we do? Why do we do it? How come we do it? Which is unfortunate because far too many church leaders don't even actually ever answer the question, why do we exist? So we say, for you as a person, for you as a Christian, for us as a church, we have to kind of continually ask that question. Like, why do I exist? Why am I here? Um, what, what's the purpose of my life? Why does, why, yeah, God, why am I here? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. Maybe that's why you're here in part to know and, and wonder or, or ask the question. God, <clears throat> why do you have me here? And um, ultimately, I think it's, it's to learn and to grow, but unfortunately, and, and to grow closer to the Lord, but unfortunately, a lot, a lot of churches uh, have got this wrong. And I mentioned last week, and I need to do a little bit of uh, work this morning to correct what I said last week. Last week, um, I mentioned um, uh, a church that had started the seeker-sensitive move movement, and I had attributed the seeker-sensitive movement uh, to a church called Saddleback, which maybe some of you are familiar with. Saddleback's pastor by a guy by the name of Rick Warren. Uh, some people love Rick Warren. Some people don't like him at all. And uh, But I, I just needed to backtrack because what I shared last week didn't come out of Saddleback and didn't come from uh, Rick Warren, uh, but actually came from Willow Creek. Willow Creek uh, was pastored by a church. He uh, may still be pastored by uh, Bill Hybels. How many of you have heard that name, Bill Hybels? Bill Hybels, well-known guy. And so anytime I talk about churches, other churches, inevitably someone uh, will, will call me during the week and say, I don't appreciate <laughs> that you brought up uh, this other church. It seemed like you were being negative. Or, and listen, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm, I'm trying to teach, as it just said to do so in Matthew chapter 28, to help you understand what the church should be and what the church should not be. And so uh, I want to do course correcting and mention, okay, Willow Creek, Willow Creek was a church in Chicago that blew up, okay? And, and what was happening in Willow Creek was really quite amazing. 
because the church started to grow, became one of the largest churches in America, and they were the ones who they were the ones who launched this idea of seeker sensitive church. Seeker sensitive church was basically just a way to say, listen, we care a lot about people who don't know Jesus. We care so much about people who don't know Jesus. We're going to design all of our liturgy, all of our church, everything that we do on a Sunday and what we do during the week is going to be designed around this idea of seeker sensitive. We want to be sensitive to people who don't know Jesus, and we don't want to create boundaries or borders uh, for people who, who maybe don't know Jesus. And so church began to look like and feel like a certain thing and and not a lot of depth but a lot of people who didn't know jesus coming to church so can we just say this before i continue on can we just say that's a good thing that they cared about lost people coming to jesus you you know lost people that's like the i always see again because i didn't grow up in church i just think it's always kind of funny if you just kind of think about the things we say as christians sometimes you know lost people matter to God. Do you know what that sounds like to people who are lost? <laughs> Makes them feel weird, just so you know. Why do you keep calling me a lost person? I had a high school teacher one time uh, who someone in our church was trying to evangelize to her, and she hammered me in the middle of the school, uh, in classroom, just, just, you know, nailed me really good. And She told me, she said, you Christians always seem like you're trying to convert people. I was like, yeah, it's because we are. So, <laughs> So, um, so that, that matters. But listen, this is why this is important. 2007 rolls around. Okay, 2007, you with me? It's not 2020, it's 2007. And our church started to go through a book called Reveal. And the reason this book was important, this is why I mentioned it last week, to kind of tease out and build upon what, what I mentioned last week. Reveal was written by Willow Creek. And Reveal was a book that was published by Willow Creek in regards to a several-year study on their seeker-sensitive model of church. So what they did was they blew up, and they decided that this is is literally what happened. They decided to do a study so they could brag about how awesome and great their people are. They did this study so that they could show this is why this model works, and this is why this model is so important. So they published the book, and this is what the book says of itself, okay? So this isn't Saddleback. This is Willow Creek. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. We're just trying to find the right way to do this thing called Christianity. That's what we're trying to do, right? Are you with me? Do you want to do it the right way? I know I do. Okay. Doctrine, this is Willow Creek speaking. Doctrine for their church model didn't matter nearly as much as innovation. If it wasn't cutting edge and consumer friendly, it was doomed. The mention of sin, salvation, and sanctification were taboo and replaced by Starbucks, strategy, and sensitivity. Thousands of pastors hung on every word that emanated from the lips of church growth experts. Satellite seminars were packed with hungry church leaders learning the latest way to do church. And the promise was clear. Thousands of people and millions of dollars can't be wrong. He goes on, forget what people need, give them what they want. How can you argue with numbers? And if you dared to challenge the experts, you were immediately labeled as a traditionalist, a throwback to the 50s, a stubborn dinosaur unwilling to change with the times. Well, all that has changed. 
Willow Creek since has released a multi-year study on the effectiveness of their programs and philosophy of ministry. A several-year study to see, are we discipling and teaching people to follow Jesus? The findings in the study are found in the book Reveal. Where are you? And here's what Heibel says of the studies of, right? Amazing church, big church, putting on seminars, worldwide uh, implications. This is what he said. The findings of the study are earth-shaking, groundbreaking, mind-blowing. No wonder it seems that experts were wrong. We made a mistake, he says. What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people, how to read their Bible between services and how to do the spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. Incredibly, the guru of church growth now tells us that people need to be reading their Bibles and taking responsibility for their spiritual growth. Well, who would have thunk it? I mean, that's literally what he's saying is, he's saying is, the church has become notorious for spoon-feeding its people, giving them an experience on a Sunday morning, and then it's nothing more than that throughout the week. Basically, what they're saying is that what happens on Sunday has very little implications in people's lives during the week. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is a radical following after Christ, regardless of circumstance or situation, regardless of emotion or the attitude of want to or feel to. Right? What we've done in this model is, again, we've not adhered to the commandment in Matthew 20:18, which is to teach. But instead, we've fallen into the sin of entertaining our people into a, 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 a lull, a dream state, a, a, a lack of ability to discern the days and a lack of ability to discern the times that we're in and a lack of an ability to even say what sin is and what sin isn't. Like We haven't strengthened our people by, by becoming you know, seeker-sensitive. And so we, we must go back to this reality, as we kind of talked about last week, that that this is something that is important. This is something that we should take seriously. We should be growing. We should be learning. And we should recognize that that growing and that learning at times are going to be hard and it's going to be up and it's going to be down and it's going to be all over the place. And we shared how last week that sanctification, which is the process of growth and maturation, is very rarely a, a smooth process. It's usually up and down, filled with repentance, filled with mistakes. And that process kind of looks, you know, like this. It's a crazy journey that we're on. Uh, Tim Challies, um, <clears throat> he's a guy I highly recommend uh, you go to if you ever want to know if a book's worth reading. Okay, so here's a tip. Some of you might know this and some of you may not know this. If you, if you go to a Christian bookstore, when you first walk into the Christian bookstore, uh, almost every Christian bookstore, just like any other bookstore, will have its top 10 bestsellers. Here they are. Here's the top 10 bestsellers. I don't know what they are today because when I see a top 10 bestseller for Christian books, guess what I do? I just walk on by. Because <clears throat> most of them are trash. Most of them are extra biblical, <coughs> not biblical, experiential. They're, they're just, they're nonsense. They're nonsense. So typically you gotta go somewhere in the back to find those things. And if you wanna know if a book's worth reading or not, 
Tim Challies does a book review. He's a well-trusted guy. But listen to what he says in regards to this kind of craziness of what it is to walk with Jesus in the ups and downs. He says, as Christians, we know that God's sovereign hand draws a line that leads us from suffering to meaning, from pain to purpose, from grief to good. And there's no affliction that leads nowhere, no sorrow that is ultimately futile, senseless or pointless. No, in some way they all work together for good. In some way they bring blessing. In some way they display the surpassing wisdom of a holy God. But the line that leads from trials to goodness is not necessarily a straight line that extends unservingly from the one to the other. Right? He's just saying, first of all, in Christ, all of your pain is going to make sense one day. Isn't that good news? All of your sorrow, all of your struggle, all of your depression, all of what we experienced as a nation in the last few years, as a world in the last few years, all of those things will finally make sense. You'll get to heaven and it'll all make sense. But we have to recognize that as we travel in our relationship with Jesus, as we grow, that that process is going to be bumpy. And since it's going to be bumpy, the leadership of the church and the congregants of the church need to extend great grace to one another. Amen? That means like, like if you find out so-and-so struggling in their marriage, you shouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, I knew something was wrong with him. Like, don't do those things. You, you have to get to that place of, I'm going to be there for the church. I'm going to be there for people because one day people are really good and the next day people aren't so good. People are very inconsistent. And it's important for us, listen, listen, just so you understand, in 2007, in 2007, Willow Creek said, we've got it wrong, and we need to course correct. Now, let's fast forward more into our day and age, and I'm not going to mention the pastor's name, but if you look up the quote, you can find him, and you can think whatever you want about said person. But let me read to you a very real word-for-word quote from a modern-day megachurch pastor. You guys ready? So just pretend I'm famous. Listen to what he says. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, I don't know how famous people say it. If you know Jesus. Ready? Ready? I'm sorry to break it to you. This church is not for you. It's real. This is real. Listen, he goes on. The quote goes further. He doesn't stop there. This applies even if you've only known Christ for as little as a week. Last week was the last week, if you accepted Christ, that this church exists for you. We don't teach from books to the Bible because it gets in the way of evangelism. We don't offer different kinds of Bible studies because it gets in the way of evangelism. We don't teach doctrine because it gets in the way of evangelism. If you want to be fed God's word or have the Bible explained to you, then you are a fat, lazy Christian and you need only to shut up and get to work or you need to leave this church because we only do evangelism. If you want to be fed God's word or have the Bible explained to you, then you are a fat, lazy Christian. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Because we only do evangelism. Okay. Is evangelism important? 
Is it the primary role of the church? No, and this is what's so important, okay? And, and I'm taking these few weeks to just, some of these things are deeper than maybe you've even thought or given them credit for. When we say as a church that we follow Jesus and we make disciples, and then we say we do it for his glory through his word on his mission, we do it for his glory. Why do we do evangelism? We do it for his glory. Why do we study the Bible? We, we do it for his glory. We don't do it to propagate ourselves, to make a great name of ourselves. To, and, and here's the deal. When Jesus says you do it for my glory, guess who gets to decide what glorifies God or not? God does. And God, according to Matthew 28, was really clear. He didn't say, go and evangelize all the nations. He said, go and teach all the nations. If you're not giving people substance, if you're not getting substance, you've got to go find the substance. You've got to find the meat. There's a place in Hebrews that literally says, many of you should be teaching the word of God, but instead of eating the meat, you're drinking the milk. That's essentially what it says. It says you're at this baby diet, you're drinking milk, and then you're, you're at a place in your Christian walk where you actually should be teaching people. But instead, you're happy and content to, to hang out in your diapers. That's essentially what Hebrews is saying. You have the opportunity to run the race, you have an opportunity to compete for the prize, or you can sit in your crib all day. What do you want to do? And, and this is the call to discipleship. And Jesus literally says, so we're just adding to a little bit more of what was said last week. Jesus tells your leaders of the church to feed the sheep. So he tells Peter, feed the sheep. Acts chapter 20, as well as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, tells your leaders, oversee, shepherd the flock that is amongst you. That, that means teach them, shepherd them, guide them, lead them. I don't do you any favors by pretending to not talk about sin or to pretend to not talk about other churches, we have to, in our day and age, it's time for us to go beyond the shallow thinking of what so many churches have been teaching and go, I now need to, be, I need to go deeper. I've got to go deeper in my faith. I have to know what I believe and why I believe it. And some of you go, well, how do I do that? It, well, it starts with reading your Bible. But if you, you have a hard time reading your Bible, you can do a catechism. Is anyone familiar with catechisms? Who remembers catechisms? Right? We've got a couple of them in the bookstore. New City Catechism, uh, Westminster Catechism. Uh, what was the one you mentioned to me uh, this week? Uh, J.I. Packer's uh, got, got a great one. Well, there's some solid catechisms out there. You go, what's a catechism? A catechism is just written to teach you the basic tenets of the faith. And what's crazy is, is so many of us don't even know the basic tenets of the faith. And I'm not saying that's the case for our church, but I am saying discipleship is getting back to this learning and following after the Lord. So here's what I, I wanted to do for the rest of our time uh, tonight. I mean, not tonight. I'm out of breath. I don't know what time it is. I'm running out of water. It's a crazy day. Um, I wanted to take some time to encourage us in regards to why we should be so motivated to follow after Christ. So what, I, what I've done this week is, and for next week, is I've just kind of sorted through promises. It's kind of a little bit of a New Year message still. Promises 
that God gives us. I'm only going to give us two this morning. We're only going to dive into two this morning, and we'll do some more next week. But these are encouragements of this is why we should follow after the Lord, okay? Uh, so here's number one. The first promise, first motivation, uh, first promise from the Lord that I want to mention this morning, and the, and the first motivation of what will drive us towards discipleship is this. The promise that Jesus will be the same today as he was yesterday. The consistency of Jesus. How much of your life is unpredictable? We, we say illusion, uh, we say control is, a, is, is an illusion. There's no such thing as being in control of a situation. It's an illusion. Uh, so let me give you an example. How many of you are okay in a vehicle as long as you're the one driving? As soon as you go in the passenger seat, we got a problem. How many of you hate being in the passenger seat? Okay. This, <laughs> it's all conditioned on who you're married to. To some degree, right? Like, because we like the feeling of control. Now, the difference is, the only difference is when you're in the seat, you don't feel like you're in control. Like, if I'm really honest... And I don't want to tell you this. I don't want to tell you this. But I'll tell you. My wife is a better driver than I am. It's more depressing for me to share for me than it is for you. I think. She's been in less accidents. She's had far less tickets. She's, but I don't feel safe when she drives. She's a better driver than me, but I don't feel safe. And it's only because I'm not in control. And the reality is, the reality is none of us are ever in control and none of us can predict the day that we're going to have ahead of us. You can't, people are so unpredictable. And back to the idea of marriage, you know that to be true. Who am I waking up to today? Am I waking up to somebody that's full of pep? Am I waking up to somebody who maybe is a little tired? And if you have kids, it's the same deal. My, my wife yesterday took out the kids swimming. Then she took them to a birthday party in Reno, big one. Then she took them to another birthday party in Reno. They went to several birthday parties. They didn't get home till like 9 o'clock at night, past 9 o'clock at night. They didn't even come to church to the first service because they were too tired, right? Little kids video game hangover. That's what they have. And so they just decided not to come to church in the first, to the first. I think, are they here at this service? Are they here? All right, we got them. Yeah, we got them. Yeah. All right. You got them. Good job, wife. Another good thing Allie did. <clears throat> The, uh, what was I saying? <laughs> Control's an illusion. You don't know who you're waking up to. This is good. This is good. So, Jesus is saving. You know why this is good? Because I'm actually seeing what you've heard in the last 15 minutes. What did they actually learn from me in the last, anything, anything, anything at all? Um. The reality is everything is changing all the time. I know this is a long quote, and we won't read all of it, but Spurgeon essentially says that everything that is mortal is changing, whether it's the mountains and the snow on top of the mountains or whether it's the sparkling in summer or the rivers that flow, clouds moving, the sun moving, all of these things are constantly changing. But the one thing 
that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one immovable, immovable object. The, the one who is immutable. The one who is not susceptible to change. The one that you can count on for their emotions to be consistent day in and day out is the Christ. Right? There's so much that, 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 that happened in this last year, right? I mean, if, if someone would have said in 2019 what was going to happen in 2020, most of us wouldn't believe it. Now in 2022, you could probably say anything, and people are like, yeah, that sounds probably right. <laughs> but I mean, this is the, the, only through a season like this could you, could you literally have the government basically say, yeah, there are UFOs and probably aliens, and we don't know what to do with it. And we just kind of go, huh. <laughs> like it was just a blip on the radar. Like, dude, the, the government is saying there's UFOs out there. No, trust me, I don't, I have my own theory on that. They're, they're <laughs> Let's be clear that none of you are going to call me up and be like, so you think there's life on other planets? Please don't do that. The, we're made in the image of God. Salvation's for us. I don't think aliens are real. I think UFOs are probably something from Russia or China, and we have no idea what they are. I have no idea. They are called what they need to be called, unidentified flying objects. But nonetheless, the government basically has said there's things in the air. We don't know where they come from, and we've been so desensitized over the last two years, we all just collectively went, On to the next thing. And what in the world is 2022 going to hold? What random phone call will you receive? What test result may come in that you weren't hoping would come the way that it would come? What struggles, what injuries? Well, what does the rest of this year have? We've got a, we have a whole other year ahead of us. And, and you could drive yourself completely crazy if you were to try to anticipate what the day had ahead of you. How many of you are wondering, you know, am I going to get married in the next couple years? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to have the right job? Am I going to move? You know, all of these different little nuances and things that we wrestle with in life. And here's the good news. No matter how up your day is, no matter how down your day is, Jesus is the one consistent thing you can hang your hat on. He's always there. He's always faithful. He's always present. And you can depend on him every day. And if we don't move as disciples away from celebrity culture and away from attaching our emotions to, to other things, then we're always going to be struggling with our faith. But if you attach yourself to the Christ, if you attach yourself to the gospel and to the word of God, it'll be true. And we need that. You know, the, um, the one of the things that I think has come out of the seeker-sensitive movement, which I think has collectively said we recognize that this isn't working. I, I think as a culture, I think all of us would probably realize, not, not only in the church, but as a culture uh, has kind of been where it's at as a whole, could, could we just probably all agree that the culture is far more led by its emotional gut than it is its intellect? Right when fear rules the day and, and response and... and and, you know, we, we, we don't do ourselves any favors by leaning into our emotions to decide what we do or we don't do. We need something greater than ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves. We need the truth. Um, you know, I, uh, I shared with you, you guys are all well aware now that I, I, I like the sauna. That's a thing for me now. I like the sauna. And I'm sure at this point you guys are like probably like, 
okay, stop talking about how much you sweat. We don't need to know. Like, well, part of, part of me preaching is you get to hear about my life. You're welcome. <laughs> and I get to share. So this is a part of my life, right? Sauna and a cold plunge now, that's part of my life. And it's part of my spiritual experience. I, I wouldn't say everyone has to do it for a spiritual experience. Uh, but there's something about the, the, the desensitization of being in a room by myself, praying, and, and then putting myself through a painful process of a cold plunge and then back into the sauna, it does something spiritually is happening there that I've come to appreciate. And, and I got a good friend of mine that, that we have nice, hearty, kind of uh, 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 upbeat conversations in the sauna with one another. And we're close enough that we can give each other a hard time uh, and rag on each other a little bit, and it's enjoyable. But we were talking about some spiritual truths and wrestling through some of those things together. And as we were discussing, he mentioned to me that he had this one particular view, and, and I had asked him, where do you see that particular view in the Bible? Because I just wanted to hear why he felt the way he felt because of what the Bible says. And he really didn't have at that time the verses to, to use, and he, just, he kept coming back to, well, I just see God working, and I feel this thing, and I, I feel this particular thing. And I just said, hey, man, like, like, this isn't going to work for me. This is frustrating for me because you keep arguing your point of view from your feelings, and, I, and I, can't, I can't argue with your feelings. We need some kind of arbiter of truth. We need some kind of measuring stick of truth. And so here we are in the, in the sauna as we're sitting in the sauna, and I said, okay, buddy, if I'm in this sauna and I look at you and I say to you, I feel really cold right now, what would you say to me? And he said, well, I would say you're probably cold because you just got out of the cold plunge. And I said, no, 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 no. I didn't get out of the cold plunge. I'm sitting in here. I've been here for 20 minutes. And I'm telling you, I feel cold. What would you say? I said, what you would say is you would point to the wall. And on the wall hangs a little medallion. Do you know what that medallion says? How hot it is. Hey, Jesse, you can say it feels cold but I'm looking at this thing, and it says it's 200 degrees in here. So either your feelings are failing you, or you have a mental condition, or you have a physical condition. Something's not adding up, right? So as Christians, when we say all these things, like, well, I feel God this, and I feel God that, as a pastor, I'm just going to tell you, I don't care how you feel. Not in the sense of being empathetic or I care about the measuring stick. You're, I can't argue with your emotions. But that's the problem. I feel the, the culture has made a mess of itself because it's living off of that mantra. I feel like I'm this today. I feel like I'm that. I feel like, hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you all day long that I feel like dunking a basketball, but if that rim is any higher than eight feet, <laughs> there ain't going to be no dunking going on. Because no matter how I feel, I can't jump that high. Right? So we need an arbiter of truth. And what is the arbiter of truth? It's the word of God from God to us who says, listen, this is what Christianity looks like. Stop making it like something else that it doesn't need to be. Anytime someone says to me, we need new philosophies, new ways, a new movement, a new theology, a new, I don't need a new anything. We have an ancient tradition from an ancient text 
from the, the God of the universe with no beginning and no end. We don't need a new anything. It's already here. Okay, you like that. All right, good. Good, I'm in the right church. All right. It's already right here. And that promise of sameness, the culture changes, the way we sin gets more creative, but the truth is the truth. And so what I, what I say when we say we follow Jesus and we learn, guess what? I'm really, I'm really okay with you having different theology and doctrine than me as long as you can defend it from the word of God. But the moment you tell me that you got it from a man's tradition or you got it from your feeling, just put it in the trash can. It's worthless. Because I, I, don't, I don't know about you. I just don't trust myself. I know that I'm too frail and I know that I'm too broken. And that's inevitably what the gospel is, is that we, we recognize that we are broken and that we are weak and that we are frail and that we are in desperate need of hope. God doesn't fix people because they, they have it all together. He fixes them because they're in need of fixing, which leads me to the second promise. The first promise, right, should very clear, uh, very encouraging. He's going to be the same today as yesterday consistency consistency and then secondly the second promise i think that we should walk away with is this that god promises not only to be the same but he promises to give us blessings not paychecks blessings not paychecks what do i mean by that i don't mean what the culture means hashtag blessed have you seen that Hashtag blessed. It's like you're hooked up. You got all the right thing. Being blessed isn't, isn't I pray to God for material things or monetary things or a big house or anything like that. It's, it's recognizing that God's going to bless you beyond what you deserve. And he's not going to give you paychecks. So paychecks, you all know what a paycheck is, right? I'm assuming that because you're Christians, you are all working and getting one. A paycheck. If you're not getting a paycheck, McDonald's is paying $20 an hour. Woo! 20 bucks an hour. That's amazing. You, I'm more impressed with it than you are. Um, here's one of the things that's hard about, for me as a pastor, okay? So I ended up, not, not on purpose, but I ended up in this profession. <laughs> is it a profession? I hope so. And, and initially, when I was a young Christian, and I felt this inkling that I was supposed to be a pastor. My grandmother actually used to tell me when I was a kid, she used to tell me, you're going to be my pastor. Okay, this is when I was, this is like when I was like six, seven years old. And so she kind of, I think she just threw it out there, you know, in hopes it would stick, and it did, okay? And so here I am, I'm in this profession. I didn't necessarily want to be in the profession. I did everything I could to run from it. And, and I had to come back to it because oh, this is where God wants me to be. And just so we're really clear, Allie will tell you this too. You, you know, a lot of you move here because you love the area. A lot of you moved here because you love skiing. Who loves skiing? Come on, don't lie to me. Snowboarding. Mountain climbing. Dave Schroeder, raise your hand every time. Every time. Mountain biking. Mountain climbing. Skiing. Snowboarding. All the things. <laughs> like there's so many of those things to do. And people go, Jesse, which ones do you like? And I'm like, none of them. <laughs> they go, why do you live here? 
because this is where God called us to preach the gospel. Do you know why my wife and I are in Tahoe? My wife grew up in Palm Springs. Do you know how much snow is in Palm Springs? There's not any. You don't have to shovel it. You don't want to be there in June or July either, though, because it's hot as hell. That's a literal statement. We're here <clears throat> not because of the circumstances, not because, not because we got a fat paycheck. But this is where God said, this is where you'll be blessed. This is where I want you, so go. Too many people decide on a positive list, a, a, a pros and cons list, instead of, God, where do you want me list? God, where are you guiding me? And so God has led us here, and, and one of the things I've learned in this profession is that, that it pays differently than most professions, and it rewards differently than most professions. Right, if I do 10 baptisms, the elder board that oversees me, the elder board that, that does my staff review every year and, and, and says whether I'm doing a good job or a bad job, right, where I need to improve, right, they, don't, they don't sit down with me at the end of the year, which is what we do every year, and, and do a review and go, how many people did you lead to the Lord today or this year? 10. All right, 10. How many baptisms? 10. Oh, 10. Has the church grown this year? Yeah, did it? And then they take all that information and they huddle up together and they put up a performance review and then they give me a raise. You think that's how it works? Just so you know, it isn't. Because the pastoral profession and the idea of discipleship, it's not like, it's not like any other job. I don't do a great job and then the board says, let's give them a bonus. Right? If I do a good job, guess who knows about it? Usually Jesus. Like that's it. Just Jesus. And it's because, right, this is the way it should be. The pastoral profession is not just a job. It is a calling, and it should be a calling. And you want your pastors to be called and not to be doing it for a job. The, the Bible literally says you shepherd the flock, and you shepherd it not under compulsion, but freely, with a desire to love your people, with a desire to care for your people. And, and one of those things I've learned is I can do a really great job and I'm not going to get a pay raise. Many of you don't even, many of you will never know the things that happen behind the scenes at this church. Not just that I do, but that the staff does and the elders do. There are so many really amazing things you'll never know about. So many areas of, of even funds where we send our funds. You know, we just recently, uh, uh, there's a special group down in, in the Bay Area needing a place to stay and we normally don't have people stay on the weekend. We're going to make it work, and they're going to come up. We're going to bless this group. You know how, how often those little things happen? You, don't know, you never know about it. You never know about it because the Bible says when you're generous and you give, you don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing or what the left hand is doing with the right hand. You, you just do it because it's the right thing to do. Right? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not here because it, it gives me an ego boost. I'm not here because it gives me a, a fatter paycheck. I, I, I'm here literally because Jesus is worth it. And now I've been doing this long enough, and so is my wife. We're under no, no fairy tale illusions of what the ministry is. And some of you, some of you don't even have any inkling of what I'm talking about because some of you have never thought about getting into the ministry. And kudos to you. James, James, James chapter 3, don't many of you become teachers because you don't care a harsher judgment. 
I remember as a young man thinking, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I remember thinking pastors knew something that other people didn't know. Pastors had a special relationship with God that others didn't have. Pastors had these magical spiritual moments, and I was going to be a part of that, and I was going to have it, only to realize that as a pastor, I'm exactly the same as you. It's so disappointing. At the same time, it's the right way. As many other guys before me have said, the best pastors are just beggars showing other beggars where there's good food. And so we hang on the promise, the the promise that he's going to be the same and the promise that he's going to give us blessings and not paychecks. He's going to bless you even when you don't deserve it. It's not a paycheck. When Allie came into my life, it was probably the worst season for me as a guy, to be honest with you. Young, single guy. It's not a season I should have got married. It wasn't a season I deserved to. Same thing even with, with my wife now. I, I don't deserve the wife God gave me. She's so much more incredible than me. And God, as small as some things seem, God wants to bless you, and he wants you to see the blessings. And, and I'll give you one example, one more example, and then we'll close, okay? Stupid example. And I don't say this saying that God is going to prosper you and everything, because sometimes being a Christian, it hurts and it's hard. But, you know, we went six days without power. Some of you know what that's like. And so we were filling up the, the generator, and I had to run around people I knew get gas cans because I only had, I think, one or two. So I'm running around from all these different people. I'm getting all these different gas cans. I've got, uh, I've got California-compliant gas cans, uh, also known as trash. It was just trash. Anything that's California-compliant, we can just admit is trash. So that's no good. I've got from my dad before he passed away, I've got these race cans. Those are the best because they, those things spill gas everywhere. The environmentalists hate them, but they fill up your generator fat way faster than the California compliant one. Am I right, Jamie? Absolutely. All right. And, um, and this is, I'm sitting there in the garage, a little insight into the way my brain works, and I'm looking around. And I'm, I've been filling this thing up, and I'm looking at it, and I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of a neat guy. I like things neat. I like things orderly and in rows, you know? And I'm looking at my mismanaged California compliant race car, all these different, and I'm, like, I'm looking, I thought, you know, a guy like me should have matching gas cans. <laughs> That's the kind of guy I am. But I'm like, I got what I got, right? I kid you not. Kid you not, that night, my wife had went over to someone in the churches. They went to, over to the house. I didn't go. She came home. And randomly, same day, she shows up. Someone in the church had given her five matching, very nice metal gas cans. Jesse needs gas cans. I hear you guys don't have power. Here's some gas cans for you. Now I have my matching gas cans. Because Jesus loves me more than you. (laughs) And I say that joking because as small as it is, I'm not going to give you some kind of theology that God's out there to bless you and all, and you just, at the same time, he is. He's involved in all the little stuff. And he's involved in the big stuff. And I'm thankful I'm so thankful that I felt the presence of God receiving 
you know, this God that I want to follow and I want to learn from, that he's there in that little moment with three five-gallon gas tanks. And then, by contrast, hour 22, 23, whatever it was, Allie, with our first birth and first pregnancy, wondering if that baby's going to come. And in that magnificent moment of birth, he's there. We serve a God who's so consistent. He's there in the small moments, and he's there in the big moments. And as followers of Christ, we should be ever aware that he is always here and living for his glory. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, we... um. We thank you that uh, you're better to us than we deserve. And I just would say, Lord, that if we're honest, we would admit that we are in ever need of you. We know that tomorrow could hold anything, but we know that you're the one who holds tomorrow. So may we take surety And that reality that you hold all things in your hands and that you're the same today, yesterday, and forevermore, Lord, and that we can trust that consistency, that you will be with us no matter what in the small moments and in the big moments. And at the same time, Lord, we we also want to say thank you for giving us blessings and not paychecks, because if we're honest, our paychecks would probably be pretty small if that was the case. But instead, Lord, you lavish us with your riches and your grace. So we say thank you. And we sing in gratitude now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.